just a little bit different than normal. I, let's just, would you stand with you, close your eyes. We're going to pray this morning. And I want you to pray after me. And no, don't worry, I'm not going to pray winning weird. But, but I, I want to pray this morning. So if you would, pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, open my minds, open my hearts, open my ears to what you want to speak to me today. I put off this week, I put off this morning, and I will do what you want me to do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Would you sit down across this room this morning? I appreciate today that you're doing that to this morning. And today we are, begin, we are continuing our series called Edit This. And been with us all, you know, we're talking about some things that, some times, some moments in the book of John that Jesus presented an edit to someone that they needed to, to consider. And today, we come to a very well-known story. Uh, most of these stories are very well-known, to be honest with you. In the book of John, John chapter 4, if you would, turn there this morning. And Jesus meets a lady with some issues. Now, how many of you have issues? Raise your hand or, or, you know, nod your head. Okay. How many of you are sitting next to someone with issues? Well, maybe you shouldn't raise your hand there. No, that might, be, that might get you in trouble this, today. But, but, you know, you can't always tell when you meet someone who has issues, can you? Sometimes your spouse, you might say, when I met you, you had no issues, and now you do. Well, they met you and married you, so maybe that had something to do with it. But, 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 but no, you, know, you can't always tell when you meet someone, but you can oftentimes know that down the road, those issues might, they might surface at some point, right, as you get to know them a little better. And could it be that that's part of the reason why we kind of try to keep people at an arm's length? This morning, we're talking about that in this, this, this context. We're talking about a lady who had issues, Back a couple of years ago, uh, actually, it was last year, I told a story on a Sunday morning about a time that I uh, sat at Caribou, and I do that oftentimes, and I, I'm there oftentimes early, and there was this guy that came in for the course of a few weeks, and he looked homeless. And, and, and he was just, he was there, and it was interesting to watch people, how they interacted around this guy. They, they seemed to kind of put him off, like you, you would think, and, and I just kind of let it go, and when I told the story, um, it was kind of in the middle of that, and I hadn't talked to him yet. Well, the rest of the story is I actually did eventually talk to this guy and got to know him. And sure enough, the guy was, in fact, homeless, but he was homeless on purpose. And the guy had just an, has an incredible, interesting story. And, and so he began to share me his story. He was in the military at one time. He had gotten out, got a great job, made a lot of money, he said, and, and got married. And he married this woman, and I could tell quickly when, his, when his, his face grimaced, we talked about his ex-wife, where this was going. And, and what happened was she left him, she sued him, took everything, as, well, in his estimation, uh, took everything that he owns, and he said, forget it, I'm done. And he just, he bought a, an, RV, an old van, an RV-type van, and he said, that's it, I'm, I'm just, I've had it. And he said, I can only trust myself and my dog. And he said, I'm just going to drive around the country and I'm going to see the world and I don't want to really know anybody that much. And that was kind of his, his kind of, you know, me filling between the lines. That's kind of what he had said and implied. And so we, we talked about how this worked. And he said, well, I, I'll go to some place and I'll stay for a few weeks at a time and then I'll leave. He said, I'm going to die pretty soon. And, and so, and again, this guy was 
it was I mean, capital I interesting. I mean, just we'll put it there. And he said, I'm going to die pretty soon, so I want to see the entire country before I die. And so I just go to place. I work a few jobs here and there, odd things, and I just, when I'm done, I, I move on. And that was his entire story. And then I, want, I was like, well, you know, I was going to talk about Jesus, and as soon as I even started going there, he stopped me. He said, I want to talk about God. God, this is part of my God's fault. This is, that's, that's why I'm like this. And he was very close to the gospel. And so I kind of got that. And then he went to this really weird place and started telling me about space aliens and all this weird stuff. And, and then as we kind of closed the conversation, which really wasn't a conversation, it was him talking and me listening. And as that got that, he invited me to go and see his van. And I said, no, thank you. I'm okay. I really did. I, I didn't really want to go there because at that point, it got pretty weird. And so here was a guy that had some issues. Jesus, this morning, will find he meets a person with some issues. And we're going to find today that behind every issue is an empty bucket. And all of us carry buckets in our lives, don't we? And there's at times in your life when your bucket is full. When things are going okay, you just, you feel that way, don't you? You feel, wow, I just feel full. I, I feel good. I feel like things are going okay. Well, there's a story behind the full bucket. Something is happening to fill that bucket. There are times in life, though, when your bucket is empty, when things are hard, when things don't feel good, when, when things aren't going well, your bucket is empty. And I've been in ministry long enough to know that there are times when our faces don't show what's going on deeply inside of our hearts. We have empty buckets. I've been in ministry long enough to know that sometimes people put on a good face, but they have some issues deep down inside. And I've also learned that that could be people who know God and who have walked with God for many years of their lives, but yet for some reason, they carry around an empty bucket. We don't know the background totally of this lady this morning, but we do know that she has an empty bucket, both literally and physically and, 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 and emotionally. Let's listen here. Verse 4 says, Now he, now he is, of course, Jesus. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, I'm going to pause because this story is loaded with incredible detail. And I want you to know this morning that none of those details are there on accident. That when this story tells these details, it tells the details to show us what the story behind the story, so to speak. So that's one detail that's like that. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. This, is, of course, is near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Bam, another big detail right there. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Again, this is, this is no accident. What's fascinating is that this story takes place at noon. Now, you ask, well, why is that fascinating? Well, the reason is, is because Samaria is in the desert. The desert is hot. It's dry. And in, no one in their right mind goes to the well at noon. And, and this, you're like, well, how do you know? Well, this still happens. I've been to places around the, in Africa where they still go to the well to draw water. And I will tell you, they don't go there in the middle of the day. It's too hot. It's too dusty. It's too dirty. And so they go before the sun rises or they go after sunset. 
We drove through a community in Africa right about sunset, and there was a line of people coming down with buckets on their heads, coming down to draw water. And I talked to the missionary guy, I figured the answer, he said, so what are you doing? He said, they're, they're drawing water. They only come before sunrise or after sunset. It's too hot during the middle of the day. So the truth is, if you went to the, the well at noon, you probably went there to avoid people or to hide something. Because if people could go, and that would happen at times, that would be the case because the well was a gathering place. There was people, there was talk, there was, how's your grandma, how's your son, how's your mom? I mean, there's people around. So if you went at that time, you went there on purpose for a purpose. Now I gotta pause here because again, she brings with her an empty bucket and I think this bucket represents her life. She's walking to this place at noon. She's alone. She's by herself. She's in a situation but where she is by herself. She has an empty bucket. The empty bucket symbolizes the rest of her life. And this brings me to my first point. You see, you have to recognize that God has perfect timing to start a turnaround in you. Jesus happens to be there at noon. He happened to be this spot at noon. This woman who was there to avoid people probably might have seen him coming or might have seen him there. I don't know for sure where he was, but she probably thought, oh, great. I came here at noon to avoid people, and there's this dude sitting there, and then the guy has the audacity to ask me for a drink. How in the world could he think this would, would, would be the case? But you see, God doesn't do coincidences. He doesn't. He doesn't do things like that. God sets up big moments in our lives with the potential to have big impacts. We'll soon discover this woman had, though she had an empty bucket, she had a full life. She, her life was full of problems. Her life was full of rejection, anxiety, issues. We discover those things coming up here pretty soon. Shame and, and isolation. And, and I've noticed that God has a way of taking the things that, that are, are, are struggles and difficult in our lives and paving the way to his presence with those things. God has a way of taking our brokenness, our shame, our isolation, our whatever, and paving the way towards him. She is in this spot because she is broken. She's in this place at, at noon drawing water because she is hiding something or because she is leaving away from something. That's what puts her in the place to have an encounter with Jesus. She has no idea that morning. That morning, she has no concept and no clue. She is just doing what she always did. She's just living her life like she always did. God has perfect timing to start something new in you. And so my, my thought on that is never lose that moment. Never walk past and lose the moment when he's set up to fill your empty bucket. And that's an interesting and a very important detail that we could easily miss, right? If God has good timing, if God does things right, and God does things well, we can at times put ourselves outside of that place to, to miss the mark. And so this woman is not in that case. Let's continue here. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, read this, of course, again, to give you the context, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How is it that you can ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with 
Samaritans. You see, the next point we have, we discover here, is that where others wouldn't go, Jesus did. Now, so far, I'm not really you know, giving you some crazy big truth because this story reads like that. The story reads like a funnel. It's large, it's obvious, it's big at the beginning, but as you get closer and you draw further, you draw near in the story, it starts to kind of get deeper and get more difficult and get more challenging. Where others wouldn't go, Jesus did. The background, of course, is that Jesus was a Jew. This woman was a Samaritan. Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. They saw them as being half, literally half-breeds. And, and they saw them as being less than. If you were a Jew, you looked down your nose, and you had a religious reason why you did so. You looked down your nose at these Samaritans. The Samaritans knew that. They, they sensed that. They felt that. A Jewish person would not go through Samaria. They would go around Samaria. Now, I've wanted to do that before with Wisconsin, but it's too far to go around Wisconsin. But, but anyway, that's, that's how you'd, you would do things. You would not go through. You would, go, you would not go through. You'd go, you'd go around. So where others wouldn't go, Jesus did. Now, now think about that. If you have been, at some point in your life, you've been minimalized or you have been cast out or outcast or, or whatever it might be at some point, you might even have sensed that in the church and, and such. And, and that might be the case. You have to know this thing about Jesus. Where others wouldn't go, Jesus did. But it also speaks to us as believers who are, so to speak, the inside of, of, of the world. Where others wouldn't go, Jesus did. Well, I love the story this morning of Candace, and we shoved it in the backpack and thinking about these poor little ones and, 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 and being ripped out of a home and just their whole life will have been to that point, just utter chaos and, and terribleness. And these kids, man, I, I, my heart breaks for people in that situation. And how often do we uh, not, we, we forget that where others wouldn't go, Jesus did. It's our call to go to the world. It's our call to do things that at times are a little messy. Our call to do things that at times cost us a little bit. Because where others wouldn't go, Jesus did. And the call that he places on us is the same call. Where others wouldn't go, Jesus did. But I, I want to drill down deeper here. Because in verse 19, it begins to do that. It says, I'm sorry, verse 10. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. I'll pause there. You know, again, she doesn't know who he is, doesn't know her story, his story or what's going on. And so here's some guy that says this, and he says, she says, sure, I've heard this before, gift of God, you know, like, you know, I'm God's gift to women or whatever. No, I've heard this before, you know, and then he continues, you have, you have li magic living water, you know? She's like, I, I want to see this thing. And so, so, you know, she continues, sir, you have nothing to draw from and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and also did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus, who knew her heart, answered her and said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of living water that is welling up to eternal life. 
Jesus begins to, again, draw deeper and draw down further in this passage. Jesus knows her heart. He knows where she is, and he he responds to her and tells her this promise. And what's so cool about this lady is this next part. She says, sir, I want this. Give me this living water so I will not get thirsty and have to come, keep coming back to this well. For all the things that's going on in this woman's life, this is good. She begins to see that Jesus or this guy can provide something in her life that she needs. And she drills down and says, I want this. What oftentimes happens in our lives is when things get tough or when things go crazy and God starts to drill down in things in our lives, we put a stop to it. She begins to open her life and her heart and says, I want this thing. But now look at what happens next because this is fascinating. You might look at this and you might say, well, Jesus seems to not answer her question. She asks this question, I want this living water. I I want this. This sounds good. And he gives an answer that sounds at first glance to be not the nicest thing. He He says, go and call your husband and come back you got to realize Jesus is about to answer her with this next question. Go call your husband. And she says, I have no husband. So I don't have any. I don't have one. And everyone say, oh, no, he didn't. Because he went, because where Jesus, Jesus will go where others would not go. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. And the man you're now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. So Jesus begins to answer her desire, this living water, and gives her a challenge and a call. And what's fascinating about this is the response that she gives after he does this. Again, Jesus tells her everything about her. He has no business knowing this story about her, yet he does her, her mind is struck. She says, wow, this is amazing. And, and, and she, she answers in a very strange way. She shifts gears. She, he says, sir, or she says, sir, I see you're a prophet. Duh. I see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. What a puzzling answer. How in the world would this woman give this answer to what this happened? But you see, I think it's found in this. Church number three, turnaround comes when Jesus can get down to the root of the issue in our lives. Jesus takes a discussion about water and turns it into a soul issue in this woman's life. I don't know why she had five husbands. No one knows why she had five husbands. They might have been divorces, they might have died. Maybe she's the black widow of the town and no one wants to be around her because they're worried about, I I don't know the story behind this woman. I don't know her, her, her detail, I know her past, but I do know this, that she's broken. I do know this, that she is struggling in this, this spot and she's in this difficult place. Based on their conversation, she is, we do know that she has found herself now in a place where she's living with a man who's not her husband. She's with a guy who she's not, who is difficult and is probably complicated. And and we know that because of their conversation, she at least has a part in this situation. It's partly her decision. Again, we don't know the whole story, but I've met people, I know people, and so do you, and I know some things that are probably true about this woman. She is broken. She has found herself in a place 
where she is broken. She has found herself in a place where she has nothing left. She's found herself in a place where she has broken goods. She's damaged goods. She's broken. She's hurting. And she's alone. And now she finds herself at noon at a well with an empty bucket. She finds herself at noon at a place with a bucket that symbolizes the kind of life that she has. And she goes into defense mode. say, let's deal religious argument that starts to walk through why the Jews and, the, and, and the, 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 the Samaritans are fighting. She starts talking about religion. They're talking about things. She, she deflects this question away, and she goes into defense mode. Now, you might be here today, and you might have a long history with God, but, when, but you know how this works, don't you? When God starts to drill down deeply things in our lives, how easy is it, is it for us to have all the surfacey stuff? When he starts to drill down deep, our hearts are, are, are it's, it's hard for us to come to grips with this, and we start to defend. We start to deflect and, and, and go away. You see, this is not normal behavior. Is it possible that every time God starts to get to the issue in us, rather than an open heart, what he finds instead is, is a wall? And see, I think this happens in our culture more than we care to think about and, and talk about. You know, people will say stuff like, I, I'm hard, I, 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 I'm hard to get to know, I, I'm, I just, no one, I, I don't let anybody get in my life. This is just how God's made me. I think people have that mentality, or, you know, you know I, I drink too much, and, and, and though I know I shouldn't, but, you know, to be honest with you, that the drinking helps my, the pain go away, and so that's why I do it, and so, so don't deal with me on those things. Uh, I'm going to say something now that might be uh, even deeper here, and you might say, well, I'm not sure why, wow, but I think this has to do with the, most inc- the biggest, most incredible attack on human thriving that our culture is seen today when people say, I'm gay and God made me that way, and that's just how it is. People say that kind of stuff, and, and, and they say, well, I've never known a time when I wasn't like that. And here's the truth this morning, and please listen to this idea, because this is drilling down deeper, because I don't question for a moment that a person may never have felt normal, or may have never felt that they, how they should feel, and now they find themselves in this broken place, and, 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 and our culture, rather than helping, is normalizing brokenness and, and continuing the, 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 the spiral downward and helping people to not find what it means to have freedom in Christ by saying it's, it's normal. That's just how it's supposed to be. Because if you ask a person who's come out as gay, I've, I've, and I've done this every time I've met someone in this situation, I've never had an answer outside of one of these three responses. Their relationship with their father or their mother, mostly father, has been irrepre- hugely damaged, number one. That's the most common one of all. Number two, they, they have found themselves in, in, a, in a place uh, again, father, there's a damage between the mom and, and, and the dad. Somehow, some way, they've found themselves be, to be abused at some point in their life. And, and, and it's happened in the past, and here they are, and here, they, here their spot is, and they're broken, and, they're, and things are hard. But rather than walk away and deal with it, begin to defend against this. That's number two. Or 
Number three, they've been absolutely hurt and ruined by someone of the opposite gender to the place where it's this deep spot. One of those three things I've seen every time. I was a youth pastor for many years, and I'll be honest with you, I've had several young people in my youth ministry who I knew or I thought I knew well and who grew up in our youth ministry and things seemed to go well and such. And, and I could think of several of these young people and several have come out as being gay and I've always, my heart hurts. So I'll reach out to them and I'll say, well, what happened? What, what's going on? I'll ask those questions and, and without fail, I've had one of those three things responded to me. See, could it be that what's happening in our culture is that we are normalizing brokenness? We are normalizing brokenness in our culture and we are, rather, to, then, rather than deal with what God is drilling down and we excuse ourselves and defend what's broken, this woman is doing this very same thing in this passage. This woman is defending what's happening and she is trying to deflect because Jesus is getting down to the root of what's going on in her life. What's so cool about this is that it's not up to you to change your life. You might have found yourself in a place, I may be talking to you. You might be in that situation today, and no one else knows except you and God, and that's it. And you are broken, and there is brokenness, and there is difficulty, and there is those things happening in your life. It's not up to you to change your life. This passage here shows us that Jesus is the one who changes your life. It's up to you to open your heart when he comes knocking. Revelation 3.20 says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. Don't you think that there, well, I'll just back up. The enemy is absolutely real. Who wants to see nothing in your life but brokenness and anger and frustration and wants you, a child of God who he has created and made to, to never find what he, never find him. Don't you think he will do what it takes to have you not get that and hear that and understand that? When Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would listen and open the door, I'll come in and we'll have dinner as friends. This is where we get practical this morning. Number four, and this is the last point. You got to stand in the right spot to fill your bucket. Verse 21, the woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time's coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He almost begins to answer her question uh, religiously, but then he gets down to the deeply here. He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. That's, that's a big deal, but it's, I don't have time to dive in there. But this, this is it right here, verse 23. Yet a time is coming, and that time has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that's coming. I know that the Messiah, who is coming someday, when he comes, he'll explain all these things to us. It's not up to you to change your life. It's not up to you to work hard and try to do what God's called you to. Because Jesus declared, I am the one all those things that I have talked about now, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. Spirit and in truth. 
Those two words stick out to me incredibly there. A man named A.W. Tozer, as Pastor Joe comes to play real quietly behind me, a man named A.W. Tozer said this years back, and it's such a, a big, big deal, and I want you to hear what, the, what he said today. He says, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You could be a, an atheist, you could be a strong believer, you could be a, anywhere in between that. What you think about God is the most important thing about us. Because if you see God as being something outside of what the truth says God is, you can be serving what you believe is God, but actually you're not because, you, because that's not who he is. You see, our image, our understanding of God molds our actions towards him. So many of us, and why I think the nature of, uh, of our culture nowadays so quickly moving away from godly, thriving principles and away from those things is because our culture doesn't understand the concept that God is a wonderful, just, good, forgiving God who meets us where we are but doesn't leave us there. Because our culture says, where you were before, that's good, that's life, just be happy with that. And it keeps us in ruin and destruction. God does not want that. And if the, if the enemy wants you to not mix, miss that, don't you think he's going to shield people's eyes? Of course, the answer is, is yes. And therefore, it's critical that we have an understanding of not just who God is theologically, we know who he is, but in our hearts. What is informing your understanding of God? Is it the image of your father? Maybe he was there or he wasn't there. Maybe your image of your father is helping you to see who God is and it could be good or, or bad. Is it the image of someone else, of a pastor, of a friend? Is it, I mean, what's the image? What's informing your image of God? Is it Fox News? <laughs> CNN? Is it Democrats? Is it Republicans? Is it... Libertarians, I mean, what, what's, what, is, what is helping you understand who God is? Because if it's not the truth of the word, I will tell you this this morning, you're, you're going to miss it. When Jesus said he's looking for worshipers that worship him in spirit and in truth, he is telling us and showing us in incredible detail there that you have to understand and hear. If you're going to get this, this truth, he's, he wants worshipers to have one foot firmly placed on the truth of the word and one foot firmly placed on the truth of the spirit, on truth and on, on being led by him, being led by him into the truth. The truth leads us into understanding and knowing him and walking as he's called us to walk. Walk. That's what he says. When this woman says, I am broken, I am, these things are not good, this woman comes who has no concept of what's about to take place. When she comes as well with an empty bucket, Jesus fills it by showing her how to fill that bucket. Dip it in the well that never runs dry. That sounds really good, right? So well, how do you do that? Well, Jesus answered that question. Truth is a foundational part of worship, and just in any relationship, knowing the truth of who someone is solicits a response accordingly. Your view of God is as a vindicative, re retributive, I don't know the word, you know what I'm talking about, this God that sits up on, in some far place far away, and he's 
someone you'll never possibly know, and all he does is throw lightning bolts when you're good and gives you a nice candy pat in the back when you're, or lightning bolts when you're bad and a pat in the back when you're good. If that's your view of God, first of all, it's not informed by truth, but secondly, well, it will affect how you worship him. It will affect how you, how you interact with him. Your view of God is some distant, far-off ideal, then guess what? That's how you're going to see God. And so when you have a, a, a situation that you're confronted with, you're not going to know that he is a close, as the word says, close is a mention of his, of his name. He sticks closer than a brother. He is close. He is there. He is knocking at the door of your heart. If you'll listen and open, he'll come in and you will have a meal. It'll be wonderful. I've learned in my life that so many people, because of whatever reason, don't understand that God is good, that God is holy, that God is just, that God has called you to come and called you to bow and called you to give it to him and, and then has promised that he will take those burdens and take that stuff and he will walk you through these things. Man, so often what happens is we come to God in a big moment, in a big burst of energy. We just come and we give it all to him and then we get up for the altar. We take it all back with us. We say, God, why isn't this working? Well, it's not working because we haven't done what he's called us to do, to worship him in spirit and in truth. See, it's important we, we, we worship God from a clear, true revelation of who he is, not through the lens of our bad memories, our issues, or our misunderstandings. Who do you know God to be? Do you feel you need to earn God's love? Be honest this morning. Is there any party that says, I gotta earn it? Any party that says, like a, like, like a child, if this, this was a home, this would be a dysfunctional home. If a child would have to earn my love, if my love for my daughters was because I, I, they had to earn it for me, that's dysfunctional. I mean, how many of us see God exactly like that? If I can't, if I don't know God because I, I, because I have to earn my, his love, and whenever, whenever he comes, or when I'm good, when I'm, when I'm good then I, can, I, I prove myself, and, and then I'll know him. No, that day will never come. You think he's far away or he's uninterested in you? And I'll tell you how you know this, because these are things you'll, you'll, you'll pray about. God, you're far from me. God, I feel you're not even interested in my life anymore. God, I, I feel like I have to earn your love to be accepted. In those moments of honesty are how we know, how we see God. You think he's going to punish you. That God's there to punish you and to, and, and to, to throw things at you. Does God expect some things from you? Absolutely. And you know it is. That coming out of that is painful. It, fr it, fr it frankly is. And you don't do it alone. You do it under the authority and under the leadership of the Spirit of God. Who, based on your knowledge of Him as tr in truth, and you're walking with Him in the Spirit, He removes you from that life and turns you around. You think your issues brought you to a place where your bucket is empty and there seems to be no hope for change. Your answer is yes to any of these, and the Father wants to dismantle your wrong perceptions of him and wants to reveal truth in and through the Holy Spirit. 
one foot on truth, one foot on the spirit, standing in the right spot. We are spirit-led people. We believe in the gifts of the spirit in this church, not to be weird, not to experience, just even, just, just experience. I mean, Pastor Tyler told these stories, not because we want to be like, yeah, this big, this big high. It's because God leads those who, he is, who, he, who are in his presence. God has a way of leading those. We get in his presence when we, are, when we are informed by the truth and we have a, have, a, have a foot and a spirit. God leads us out of that stuff. This woman was learning that lesson. And the church, the same lesson is to be learned from all of us. Bow your heads this morning, if you would, and, and close your eyes. We are a spirit-led people. We believe that God can do in one moment what it would take us a lifetime to do. And then, even then, probably wouldn't happen. I cannot underestimate the, the, the value and the importance of that moment and that understanding of who God is. I don't know your story this morning. Your spouse may not know your story this morning. Your kids probably don't know. Your parents may not know. I don't know your story. I don't know. You don't know. But I know this this morning. As a fellow person with a, at times, empty bucket, I don't need to dig down and try to figure out how to fill my bucket. I need to fill my bucket in the well that doesn't run dry. Know the Father. Be led by his spirit. Know who he is. Would you stand across this room this morning? If I could have the prayer team come forward today and pray, I believe God is going to move and going to work this morning in people's lives. The prayer team, please be prepared and ready to pray with people this morning over just situations in our, in our lives and, and such. Please be prepared, prepared for that. And I want to be specific on something this morning. If you are a person, you have been a believer all your life and, and, and you are not filled with the Spirit, as, as the Word says in Acts chapters uh, uh, really 1, 2, 3, and 4, but throughout Acts and throughout the Old New Testament, it talks about this gift of tongues that God gives uh, people to pray in the Spirit. The, uh, I, uh, Paul talks about how this is a, a, a spirit, it's a, a voice, it's a, it, it is a, a prayer language that, uh, that, that, that God gives that is too deep for words, that there is utterances, it says in the scriptures, that there's utterances that, 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 he, that, he, that the Spirit prays through us. We don't even understand or know. This is praying in the Spirit. It's a gift that God gives. And if you're not Spirit-filled this morning, I will tell you today, you're missing out. You're, you're missing out. And you can have theological reasons for and against, and we're not going to get into that this morning. I'll just tell you you're missing out. That's you this morning. You said, I've never been filled with the Spirit and praying in tongues, but I want that as the word tell, talks, talks about it as a gift. Pastor Yetley, would you come forward as well? Pastor Yetley, would you come too this morning? Would you come and pray? And, and Elaine, if you would come too. This is Pastor Yetley, the former pastor of this church, who's a, a, a man I look up to incredibly. We're honored to have him here in this church. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor Steve, I've never prayed in the spirit before. You're missing out. Pastor Yetley would love to pray with you this morning. I didn't ask his permission, but I don't, I don't need to, right? He'd love to pray for you this morning. Any one of these would. 
might be here this morning, you might say, Pastor Steve, I've got, a, I've got an empty bucket no one knows about. I've cried out, I've prayed, I've sought God's face. I've not done that. Well, I don't, whatever your situation might be this morning, and you have found that there is, at the end of those prayers, or at the end of whatever, there's an empty bucket, I will tell you this morning, it's not going to come, it's not be filled by trying harder or working harder or whatever outside of the fact that you need to learn that God is good, that God is good, that he loves you. And you need to learn what it means to be led by the Spirit out of that situation. And you need to learn that the enemy wants nothing more than to bring harm in your direction. That's not the life God's called you to. Emerging from that is painful and hard and difficult. And what you need is not a 10-step program on how to emerge. You need this, the power and the deliverance of the Holy Spirit to come and fill your bucket. All you have to do is put your foot on truth and put your foot on the Spirit and allow him to minister and move and see what he might do. There may be things you've got to leave at the altar it might be ideas. It might be misconceptions about God. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're here today and you feel that God's made you gay. And you know deep in your heart that that's not true. Leave that at the altar. You might be here this morning and you might say, Pastor Steve, I have this deep, deep issue with God. This deep issue with my dad. Or this deep issue of unforgiveness. I will tell you unforgiveness will ruin your life. Lay it down. When I be here today, you might say, Pastor Steve, I am, there's nothing left. I have cried all the, cried the, the tears I could, and I just don't have anything. I'm indifferent. I'm empty. You feel that empty bucket. I'm telling you this morning, if you will dip your bucket in the well that does not run dry, it won't come because you worked it. It'll come because you obeyed and you said, Lord, I'm putting my foot on truth and putting my foot on the spirit. I'll be led out of this situation because of what you have done in me. We're gonna respond to the Lord this morning. I'm gonna pray and when I've done praying, come if you would. If not, stay in your seat this morning. We're gonna just take some time in his presence. Jesus, we'll give you, your, give you this time. Lord, we give you this, 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 this next few moments, Lord, to minister and do in us as you see fit. In Jesus' name I pray.